This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of The Overcomers, God's Vision for You to Thrive in an Age of Anxiety and Outrage, written and narrated by pastor and best-selling author Matt Chandler, and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. So, we are here. Have we started? Yes. Oh, <laughs> okay, yes. Okay. Sorry. That's fine. My bad. That's all right. <laughs> Go. Action. People around the world, around our country, at their jobs, in their homes, in their friendships, in their relationships, are missing one another, are misunderstanding one another, are experiencing conflict and frustration and disappointment. And what it's doing is it's severing ties between people. People are getting divorced. Friends are not enduring through hardship together. Um, There's a whole cancel culture of like, if you do anything or say anything that I don't agree with or that offends me, I'm just going to cut you off and move on to the next person. This is Where You're From, a podcast for those who believe it's important to stop and listen before we speak. Join us as we ask another Christian thought leader where you're from and discover how their life experiences and expertise, even if we may disagree with something they say, offer us an important perspective that's worth thinking about. When have you felt isolated, even when you were around your family or friends? Finding real friendships can be hard and experiencing true community sometimes feel impossible. But what does it look like to find a true friend or to be one? What does it mean to be truly known and accepted by another person? Today, I'm here with relationship whiz and close friend, Kristen K.B. Newton. Her own story is one of struggling to find real community because of a childhood filled with movement and change. As a result of her experiences and hard work, she's created a movement called Heart Combos, which exists to help people like you and me cultivate healthy relationships through having hard conversations. But we'll get into that in just a bit. Let's begin as KB struggles to answer what I thought was an easy question. KB, where you're from? I don't know where I'm from. Uh, My father, though, was in the military, so we moved a lot. So when people ask me that question, I'm like, ah, I don't know. Born in St. Louis, overseas 11 years, went to the end of middle school, high school, and college in Virginia, and then moved to Indianapolis. Yeah, I don't know. Wow. That's an interesting way to answer the question of where you're from. It's (laughs) like, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. So I was born and raised in Philly. So basically from the time I was born to the time I graduated college, that's where I was. You say military brought you bounced around a while. Like, what did that actually look like in your life? Where did you go for how long were you there? My mom got pregnant with me and my blood father, uh, he did not stay around. And so she had me and it was her and I for the first three years in St. Louis, Missouri. And then she married her best friend um, and he was in the military already. And so we moved to Japan. So we were in Okinawa, Japan. Mm-hmm. And then from there, we went to London, England. And then from England, we went to Germany. How long and were you in So Japan, we were in Japan for four years, England for three, and Germany for four. Wow. Yeah. Not even on the same continent. 
No. <laughs> we, were, we were getting around. Um, and then he got stationed back in Virginia in the Tidewater area. So he was in Hampton at Langley Air Force Base. And uh, that was that. So, so, like, what is that like to be, like, a kid from St. Louis in Japan randomly one year and then in the U.K.? Like, you know, like did you, what, what did that look like to get friends and to connect with people? So I liken being a military brat to almost, I say this lightly, but, like, being in prison um, in the sense that you could be there serving your time and then someone come in and you're like, yeah, how long do you have? Like until wow. you leave, <laughs> that kind of thing. Because you could be in the middle of your fifth grade year and two kids disappear from wow. your class at some point because their parents have been stationed somewhere else or they've reached the end of their just time or they didn't have been deployed, you know, or whatever. So there was a lot of just movement, like people coming in and out. But I mean, school on base, you know, everybody pretty much goes to the same school. There's one hospital. There's one fire department. There's one like it's just it's so just it kind of its own little community inside of a, a whole culture and country. So it doesn't sound like there were deep relationships that you would maintain from Japan. Oh, to absolutely Germany to- not. It was very hard for me to say that I've known somebody north of 10 years like knowing someone for longer than like three or four years was like a new thing for me I don't really know what it means to be from somewhere like my husband is grew up in like the same house for the most part for majority of his childhood so when we go visit his family he looks at Nick's in the wall and it's like oh this happened when you know me and my brother got into this fight and we like put a hole and I'm like yeah I can't remember what the apartment looked like that I lived in when I was seven mm-hmm. or I, I don't remember the things that most people remember about their childhood because it was familiar and consistent because there was so much movement and change mm. at the time did you miss it did you mourn that or was it just something that you just took as normal oh it was normal because it was all I knew and I thought that everybody's life was like that to an extent got it you didn't know what you missed because exactly. you didn't have it exactly okay so how old are you when you moved to Virginia uh, 13, maybe. Okay. So you get back. Now you're in the States. How did your social life look at that point when you're this 13-year-old with all yeah. these like world experiences back yeah. in high school where probably most of your peers didn't have that? Absolutely. So um, life overseas as a kid is completely different than life in the States. And for me, the biggest difference that I saw was that there wasn't as much variety in people's social groups back in the States. Whereas in the military, there are tons of people getting thrown into a space that might not be from the same places or have the same life experiences or don't look like one another because there's so much variety right and the thing that we have in common is that we are military families and so that is kind of our common ground we're moving back to the states the common ground was do you look like me do you like what i like are you involved in the things that i'm involved in and so trying to process that at 12 or 13 like not wearing the clothes that the kids were wearing in the states that was a whole thing i was like oh i look like an oddball out because this is not what american well, kids are like. Well, well, how, would, how did you look different like, i feel like my first day of middle school my mom dressed me in this brown plaid jumper thing of of the sort it was very cute but it wasn't cool you know i just look very not from <laughs> <laughs> you're not from around not here not from around here and this is middle school and this is middle school the most unforgiving exactly. season of um, life and so that yeah so what so, happened that day you know i my personality kind of saved me i think because although i didn't look the part i had a friendly Demeanor, I guess, so to speak, in the in the sense that I was confident, but I also have like a smile that kind of breaks people down a little bit. Like they're like, oh, like you, there's no need for me to feel like I need to be guarded. Like she's she's personable. She's got great personality. Okay, but and did so, they clown you though? Of course, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> you skipped the big, the big part. <laughs> 
<laughs> yes, I got I got I got made fun of a little bit, but I learned very quickly like, oh, this isn't going to work. I need to change some things up. I wanted to know how to survive in the space. Okay. So I was like, oh, this isn't productive. Change your clothes. <laughs> you get what I mean? Like figure out how to survive here. And that some of that I think also has to do with just being a military brat, like mm. knowing how to adapt to different cultures, fit in, you know, figure out right. what you need to do in order to be successful in this new space or culture. Right. That's and a, so that's kind of interesting thing. Like part of just being in the military is that mentality. Like we want to survive. Right. Okay, so that was first, that was day one. That was day one. I was kind of getting my bearings. Okay. I do remember, though, at one point, um, I think going in eighth grade, we moved into a new uh, neighborhood, and, you know, walking to the bus stop was kind of a, a new thing. And I saw outside before it was time to kind of walk that there were groups of kids that would, like, wait for each other to walk together to the stop. But I was a new kid, so I didn't really have anybody to walk with. So um, there were a couple of uh, young ladies who waited for me, and they were kind to me and let me walk with them, I remember at one point. And um, that is kind of how I started to kind of build a sense of like belonging and community like with, with those girls. Um, and I think my first deep friendship came as a result with, with a girl in that group. Wow. So they invited you mm-hmm. to like, walk with them. Yeah. And that simple act of invitation is what opened you up to eventually having a deep friendship. With one of the girls in the group. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. So high school was pretty much solid at that point? Like you felt like you adjusted? So I would say the transition from middle school to high school was kind of a come up because I ended up going to a magnet school for the arts. I was in band. I was the kid that carried the big case on the bus that was just so awkward and inconvenient. Nobody wanted me to sit next to them. And in high school, band kids have their own sense of like community and belonging because we are together so much. There's camps and practice before the school year, then the school year starts, and then there's the different bands that you're a part of, and then you have the classes. And so there's a lot of time like spent together. And in that space, I felt like I kind of figured out who I was so it sounds like by the time you graduate high school, you're in a good place socially. I think so. I mean, most of my life, for the most part on the surface, was pretty standard. I grew up in a a Christian home. We believed in Jesus. We went to church. My parents had us involved in everything. We prayed at the house. My parents were involved in church. I think I had a solid understanding of what the gospel was around 12 or 13, and mostly just that I needed Jesus in some overwhelmingly emotional way. (laughs) It wasn't until college that my faith really became my own. And, And I really understood, like, there's a desperate need for Jesus like in my everyday living, not just for this eternity set, you know, down the line after I die. Got it. And so on the surface, my life looked pretty good. I was a decent kid, you know, like I I got decent grades, but I had this secret. I wasn't telling anyone for a very long time. And that was, I had an attraction to a girl that I was very, very close to all throughout my time back in the States in middle school and in high school. It's something I kept to myself for a very, very long time. Now, as an adult, I look back, it was extremely codependent and unhealthy and, <laughs> you know, like, and there was a lack of boundaries, but um, it was something I didn't feel like I had anybody to help me navigate through, but I got involved in a campus ministry at Virginia Tech and I was invited to a winter conference. And at that winter conference, um, I felt like God was just putting his finger on that particular relationship that I had kept a secret for so long. More so that I needed to walk away from it in order to really embrace what it would look like to have a relationship with him. And so 
at that conference, I had enough courage to go back to my hotel room after that seminar and make a phone call that was done very poorly. It was extremely one-sided. There was no clarity or context given. I pretty much was like, I got to go. Bye. (laughs) You know, and to this day, I regret having the conversation the way that I did. But with all of the emotional intelligence that I had at the time and the overwhelming feeling, I think, of needing to do something in the moment, knowing that if I didn't, I would probably renege and back out of it. So that wasn't a healthy conversation, you you know, Mm -hmm. like, but it was a conversation that did end our friendship. How would you, based on what you know now, have handled that conversation differently? Well, I wouldn't have had the conversation over the phone. (laughs) I think it's just really selfish and um, I think I would have given her some context as well for what was happening I think I would have explained to her like hey I'm hearing some things that I just need to process through and navigate through and I think some of the things that I'm thinking about are going to affect the way that we interact and what our relationship currently is now and so I want to talk to you about that some more when I get back but I needed to say something now so that I wouldn't not have the conversation at a later time you know, um, so I think that would have given her something to come back to, hold me accountable to. I think it would have given her some context for the fact that we needed to have a difficult conversation. But now wasn't the time I would want to have that in person. Um, I think that also would have given me some more time to really do the self work of processing through what I had just heard. Like I, I felt like I made a knee jerk reaction. I think it was a reaction that needed to happen. And I know it's the grace of God, you know, now and in his sovereignty, like it, it needed to happen the way that it did. But if I could go back and do it in a wiser way that was also considering her, mm. um, I would I would have done it differently. So you talked about the ending of that relationship that was significant. What about was there something about the releasing of a secret? Absolutely. If we see in scripture like that, Jesus comes and he dies and he resurrects so that we can be free, not just free from sin, but free to live, right? I don't feel like I was living in those years. There was such a tension between like just who I wanted to be in my mind, the feelings that I was feeling that seemed to be contradicting with a narrative that I was surrounded with. I felt so much pressure like all the time, whether it's pressure to perform and be kind of on the right path if it was not having these feelings that I'm having, but not really knowing how to navigate them. There was just so much pressure. And I think it was just so heavy. Mm. It wasn't really a freedom. And what I know is true of the gospel now and who Jesus is and in the life that he provides, like the believer, it should not be burdensome. Mm. If you could say in a summary, like what was so burdensome about it at that point? That I had to do it alone. Okay. It was burdensome because I didn't feel like I could share with anyone else. I didn't know how to have the conversation about how I was feeling like with my mom or my dad or even at church. I didn't have the language. I didn't have the maturity (laughs) at the time. I didn't have the courage at the time to say it. Yeah, I just didn't say anything. Okay. So when does that begin to change? When you start seeing progress and being (sighs) able to disclose or share more? You know, I'm now in college, I'm a part of a campus ministry, and you're being pushed into community. But there was a a hesitancy in me to jump right in because I had just severed what community I had at the time. Mm. So what I did was I pretended for a very long time. I was building with people, again, having this bubbly, outgoing personality, 
I just did what I thought was okay on the surface. But anytime a relationship felt like it was going to get deep or we were getting past, you know, common ground and what so, you like right, and the you know the surface stuff, I would find myself kind of withdrawing mm. or putting like a, a guard or a facade up because I wasn't quite sure what would happen if I allowed myself to be open and vulnerable and transparent in those spaces. So I pretended for a while. And it wasn't until really towards the end of my time in college and going into a new experience where I got to work at a Christian sports camp called Summer's Best Two Week City Kids, where I learned the value of being vulnerable. And in that space and at that camp, which I can tell you countless stories about them, that, that was like the first time that I was like, oh, this is what it looks like to show up completely bare and authentic and to be accepted by believers in a way that is completely and just utterly free. Oh, wow. Yeah, I love to hear that. So you're at this camp. Mm -hmm. Okay, what happens that all of a sudden makes the light bulb go off that this is what vulnerability looks like? Um, In 2007 is the year that I graduate. It's also the year that the massacre at Virginia Tech happened. A man comes on campus. um, He kills 32 people and then proceeds to kill himself. Mm. Um, I know now it is common to hear about gunmen being in stores or people, you know, shooting up schools. But at the time... It was such a foreign thing, but this incident had happened on my campus, at my school, and I was completely just rocked. And I think whatever plan I had for my life at the time, that situation just kind of shook it up. Because when you live through something like that, it makes you reevaluate, like, what really matters? What am I here for? Why am I still here? And so I go to this camp and a man named Timotheus Pope and his wife, Kendra Pope, they hire me knowing my story and all of the, the baggage that has come with my journey and being a Christian. Um, I get there and within the first couple of days, I realize that they have some practices and policies at this camp that um, I'm just like, yeah, this is not going to work for me. Um, <laughs> like what? And one of those things was uh, they had this, this rule about morning hugs. Like every morning, like the guys separate from the girls, all the staff had to like hug everybody. And I mean everybody. So let's say there's like 20 some odd women on staff for the summer. We all have to hug each other <laughs> like every morning for two months. <laughs> and I'm like, why? I literally found myself the first couple of days being like oh if this is going to be an every morning thing like I'm not going to make it mm-hmm. like just the hugs in and of itself <laughs> is just it's just too much for me um I had been walking around in life like very guarded if you could see me right now like with my arms closed across my chest and the simple act of giving someone a hug felt very very vulnerable to me because when you go to hug somebody like legitimately not like a side church hug or (laughs) you know like kind of the awkward right you know like I don't really do hugs kind of thing when you really go to hug someone you have to literally open your arms wide and expose every single part of who you are Mm. to be embraced by the other person now in that moment you're hoping that they will embrace you in return Mm. right yeah but there's also like possibility for ultimate rejection right right? and so something about hugging like opening myself up to hug someone just felt like yeah no i don't know you i have no context for you why would i open myself up to you in this way vulnerability and the formula for vulnerability is the exact same formula for being egregiously hurt or being unconditionally accepted So what it takes to be vulnerable can go one or two ways. You can experience unconditional acceptance as a result of being vulnerable, or you can be egregiously hurt as a result of being vulnerable. Um, And the definition of vulnerability, the root word is vulnerable, I think, and it means to wound. So you're not really practicing vulnerability unless you're doing something that gives another person the ability to wound you. Wow. And so I had experienced wounds 
up until that point in life and had learned lessons that kind of was reaffirming a narrative in my mind that I don't need to be vulnerable in spaces that I'm uncertain about. But this camp was asking me to be vulnerable through this act of giving strangers these morning hugs. And I was like, this feels like too much for me. But as I started to embrace it and lean into that morning practice, it became easier. I continued to be affirmed that as a result of being vulnerable, I would be embraced and I would be accepted. And just that simple morning practice revolutionized how I thought about community. Because not only did I see it happening in that morning routine, I was seeing like that narrative reaffirmed in all of the other systems that they had in camp. Like the way that people embrace strangers, the way that people completely dive into commitment and, and loyalty and friendship um, without having to have all of this context or years of experience. They're like, if we're here, we share this common ground and we're going for it. And I know it doesn't work like that in life always, but the conversations that I had at that camp convinced me that there's something about the culture here that I want it. I want in my life. I don't want it to just be when I'm in this bubble. I want it to be a part of how I do life with the people that I love that are not here. Um, And so that is when everything really changed for me from a relational standpoint. When we come back, KB will walk us through some very practical ways to develop authentic community and build relationships that last. I'm Rasul Berry, and you're listening to Where You're From. If you're enjoying Where You're From, would you take a moment to write a quick review and give us some stars? Podcast platforms like iTunes and Google promote highly rated shows. So a one-sentence review of what this episode or show means to you and a quick five-star rating will help these important stories reach more people. Thank you for your help and keep listening for more of Where You're From. This episode is brought to you in part by Pittsburgh Theological Seminary. Pittsburgh Theological Seminary students are grounded in faith and formed in community. PTS students are preparing for ministry with Master of Divinity, Master of Arts, Doctor of Ministry, and Certificate Programs. Begin your Master's or Certificate Program in person or online. Financial aid is available. Visit pts.edu admit. This is Mary Jo Clark, and I'm one of the producers for Where You From. And before we jump back into our conversation with KB Newton, I wanted to share a teaser from our next episode with author Jamar Tisby. This is Where You From. Richard Allen relates an experience where black people were going to a predominantly white Methodist church in Philly, and they were praying one day, and they didn't know that they were in the quote-unquote whites-only section. They were literally on their knees praying when a deacon came up and said, you got to get up. And so they were like, "Um, okay, but let us finish the prayer. And the deacon was like, no, you got to get up now. And if you don't do it, I'm going to get some more people to come over and help me physically remove you. Well, they went ahead and finished the prayer. But after that, uh, Alan writes in his memoirs that we got up as one and they were troubled with us no more and went down the street and founded what is now known as Mother Bethel AME. So the separation wasn't over a doctrinal difference. They weren't arguing about church polity or the divinity of Jesus or the doctrine of the Trinity. It was literally that they were being treated as second-class citizens in the household of God. 
This is Where You're From. I'm Rasul Berry. Before we jump back into the show, just a quick reminder that the show notes are available in the podcast description or on our website, whereyou'refrom.org. The show notes not only contain the talking points for today's episode and a link to KB's social platform titled Heart Convos, they also include a link to a free e-booklet titled Oh Freedom, which features 20 days of devotional celebrating legacies of the black church and links to connect with us on our socials on Twitter, Insta or Facebook. The show notes are available in the podcast description or on our website at whereyou'refrom.org. That's where, Y-A, from, dot O-R-G. Now back to the show where KB shares about vulnerability and how we can make relationships work through opening up to the people we love, even when we struggle to say what we're really feeling. You're listening to Where You're From. So I had my own DJ equipment and I remember one day just feeling like I needed to tell somebody on the summer music mission that I had turntables. So I called the staff that was over me and I said, hey, I just wanted to tell you guys that I have some turntables. I didn't know if I should like bring them this summer. And he was like, we're thinking about doing this instead of making a traditional band like with a drummer, a piano player and a, and a bass guitarist. We're thinking about doing this hip hop band. And if you have turntables and would be the DJ, we'll have three vocalists and two rappers in the group and y'all will be a whole thing. And at the time I was like thinking to myself, like, sure. Yeah. Knowing that deep down inside I had just started DJing. I barely knew how to turn my equipment on. And this guy was asking me to be pretty much the band for these other very talented people. So I said, yes. Yeah. So you're in a band with people that you don't know. Don't know. Living together with people you don't know. Yeah. Traveling for, at some point, 10, 12, 14 hours on the road with people you don't know. And then having to make music. And then (laughs) shortly after, record an album. With With people people you don't know. You don't know. Yes. How did that work for you? Let me just say, Level 316 and the other five members of the band are probably some of the most amazing, gifted, and talented people I've ever met. My respect and love for them is just through the roof. Because when you are thrown in a foxhole, you know, almost, you know, with people in that level of intensity where you're feeling like like the pressure to, to... to mesh and to to bond, but then also to create and it be organic and good and then to deliver albums for labels and you got to meet deadlines and just the natural tension that comes when strangers get together. But we are strangers, but we got to do this thing like we've been doing it together forever. Like it's it just the fact that we all lived through it is just shocking to me every time I think about it um, because you've got these two guys in the group and they both have completely different personalities. And then you've got these three vocalists and it's like, who are you people? I'm trying to process you. And then they have to process me <laughs> and all that comes with me. And I'm more outgoing and just, you know, strong-willed and outspoken. And I'm the DJ. And, you know, I'm not really saying much, you know, but I'm controlling all the music, you know. And so it was just miscommunication because I said something that you thought you heard me say. And I didn't think that I was saying that, but you thought I was saying that. So now you're offended and now we have to get on stage and go perform or somebody feels left out or didn't get to say their piece. Or I was, you know, um, being overbearing in the conversation and nobody else felt like they could say anything or you just don't feel good. And I don't know how to really press you to like do your best right now, but you're feeling really discouraged. And like, like we just had to figure it all out. And it was really, really hard. It was really, really hard. 
the thing I remember most about those conversations in the beginning, and this is why heart combos is amazing to me, a miracle from above, is because initially you kind of had a impatience with conversation. So I would say in the context of task and people, I am definitely task over people. Like, I'm like, let's get the job done. What are we here to do? Let's do it. I was just raised in a household where it's like you have a plan A, a plan B, and if neither one of those things work, you need to figure it out. And I think I took that mentality into everything. And when it comes to relationships, it wasn't always the best mix of things because people have so many nuances and there's so many exceptions to the rules when different things happen. I always wanted it to be like one plus one is two. What are we doing? Like, I don't understand why we need to, why are we flexing Hmm. right now? Like, let's, let's get it done. You've got a job to do, get up here and deliver, but that's not how it works in life. Like too many things affect how we show up any given day. And I did not have the patience at the time to have those conversations well. And there was a lot of hurt that happened as a result of that. Mm. So then that's the million dollar question for me is how did you get from why are we having conversation? We got work to do. Oh, your feelings is hurt. Pick them back up. (laughs) Put them in your (laughs) chest. and Let's keep moving to let's have a heart combo. Right. (laughs) Like, how do we get there? You know, I failed a lot. It was the grace of God. Um, I kept, I felt like I kept missing the mark. I'm failing in this. Like, I just don't get it. I am constantly in tension with another band member or constantly being misunderstood. You get what I mean? And so I think just as a result of seeing people hurt by me and offended by me or feeling like they can't trust me, you know, with their feelings and going back to how I survived in middle school, like it's like, hey, this isn't working here and I got to figure out how to how to thrive. And if yeah. wearing these clothes is not how I thrive, then I need to figure out a way to, to switch this up. So even in the group, I was like, if I'm going to be in this group and thrive in this space, I've got to take the time to figure out what is important to the people around me and how we can coexist well together. That's what happened. Failure. A lot of failure. And this desire to want to thrive and succeed and to love the people around me well. And so I started having more intentional conversations. And again, not just that. The culture that I was around was affirming me that change could happen. So going back to your leadership and the and the staff that we had, you guys were affirming like, hey, if there's a conflict amongst the band members, you need to be having conversations. So it wasn't that I just had an epiphany one day like, oh, working through conflict is healthy. I was seeing it modeled around me in that camp space, in the space of leadership, like for the band. Once I saw the benefit, mm of that culture in camp and in the context of the band, I was like, everybody needs this because this isn't just happening in unique spaces. Like people around the world, around our country, at their jobs, in their homes, in their friendships, in their relationships are missing one another, are misunderstanding one another, are experiencing conflict and frustration and disappointment. And what it's doing is it's severing ties between people. People are getting divorced. Friends are not enduring through hardship together. Um, There's a whole cancel culture of like, if you do anything or say anything that I don't agree with or that offends me, I'm just going to cut you off and move on to the next person. And that is not really how it works and what I think God has designed for us. We were all created for deep, meaningful connections, deep, meaningful relationships. And those relationships take work and time and grace and truth. And if people aren't aware of that, they will continue to cope in the best way that they know how, which typically is not healthy and leads people 
into places of isolation and loneliness yeah. and just kind of developing this narrative in their head that it's not me, it's everyone else. And mm. I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. Wow. That's a, that's an amazing uh, journey to get to Heart Convos. So what is Heart Convos and how do you help the world have these important connections among friends and sure. relationships? So. One day, literally, it just kind of fell out of the sky. I was like, I want to teach people how, how to have intentional conversations, like conversations that matter, like heartfelt conversations, like heart combos. It just kind of like came out in my trying to figure it out. And literally at the time, there was just something in me that was like, you need to quit DJing like at least for a year to figure out what this heart combo thing is going to be. And I told Mike, you know, my husband, he was like, you want to quit work to do what? And I was like, I want to create a platform where I teach people how to have heart convos. He was like, "Okay, (laughs) what does that mean? I was like, heart is an acronym. And so we just started kind of like working through it. And heart is an acronym for honest, elephant size, authentic, real, transparent conversations. These are five elements that I think are essential to having any conversation that matters. Um, Honest is pretty self-explanatory. Elephant sized means having a conversation that feels larger than life or addressing the elephant in the room. Mm -hmm. So talking about that thing that no one wants to talk about, but we all know is sitting right here. It's right there. (laughs) Um, Authentic uh, has everything to do with showing up authentically in the conversation, not being who you think the person wants you to be or saying what you think the person wants you to say. Mm. Real has to do with addressing real issues in real time. Sometimes we harbor things. We create a catalog (laughs) of wrongs that someone has, you know, had against us or um, offenses that we've kind of stacked up in our mind, but never really had the conversation about. And so if you're going to have the heart combo and be real, you're going to be intentional about having real conversations in real time when things are happening. And then transparent stands for um, having conversations that allow people to see through to the things that they wouldn't see unless you expose them. Got it. And so when I, when I told him this, he was like, okay, so is it going to be like a class or you get like, what are you, what is it? A podcast? Like, what are you doing? I was like, I don't know. It is going to be a class. It's going to be a course. I'm going to teach people, right? And so I did that. I created a course, a video course, where I took everything that I felt like I had learned in the space of camp, my time on staff with Impact, being in the in the band, and just I have a minor in psychology, just all the things that I knew, and I started putting it all together. And the response was ridiculous. People were like, what is she talking about? Like, she's talking about relationships, but specifically friendships, and no one talks about friendship. Like, People talk about dating. People talk about marriage, especially in Christian spaces, how to be a great single and being content in your singleness or how to prepare to be a wife and a husband. And I'm like, okay, so in the event that God doesn't call you or, you know, allow for marriage, you know, what does that mean for you in intimacy and deep, meaningful connections with other people? Does that mean you forfeit that because I'm not married yet or won't get married? Or what does it look like to cultivate that like amongst your brothers, like men to men and women to women? Um, and is that just mentor relationships? Like what, what does it look like to have people who are peer to peer alongside of you, linking arms, really mm-hmm. committing to do life with you on a level that feels as intentional as marriage? That is like blasphemy <laughs> to some people. <laughs> like, how dare you compare the two? How dare you even imply that the amount of work it takes to be married to someone is even similar to any other relationship? And I'm like, how in the world do you even feel equipped to do life married to someone if you've never even practiced that 
as a friend. Mm. You get what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't, I, I strongly believe that if people knew how to be great friends, they would be great boyfriends or girlfriends. They'd be great spouses. They'd mm. be great coworkers. They'd, they'd show up um, well in other relationship dynamics. I just naturally feel like friendship is the foundational relationship structure that we get to learn these basic principles that we need for all of the other relationship dynamics. Mm. One of the reasons I think most people aren't staying together in the context of marriage is because their friendship hasn't been cultivated. Mm. Um, if we had the the type of friendship and commitment to one another on that level, outside of the, the physical intimacy or the money or the status or um, the situations that come with marriage, like if all of that for some reason just fades away tomorrow, what is left? And if there's no commitment or loyalty to you outside of the pleasure that I experience from you physically or outside of the amount of benefit I get from the amount of money that we're making or the success that we have, there's really nothing left to stand on. Mm. So then it's like, there's no point in us enduring wow. together. And so I just think that being intentional in the context of friendship is so important. And the way that people can be intentional to that degree is by having the right type of conversations. So what are the biblical principles that you lean on to inspire you to see this value? And then the second part is like, what is the some of the challenges in the culture in terms of where things have gone that makes this an important message for now? Biblically speaking, I believe that Jesus champions friendships more than any other <laughs> relationship. Uh, greater love that, than like, no man than Oh this. my gosh. Greater love that no man has this than a man who would lay down his life for a friend. Um, he says to the disciples, I no longer call you slaves. I call you friends. His whole ministry is centered around his friendship with 12 dudes. Mm. <laughs> you get what I mean? Like, what do y'all think he was doing? <laughs> you know, like with these guys, like cultivating intimacy with them. Some relationships thrived. Some didn't, but he was still intentional. He was still focused. He knew what the outcome of some of those relationships would be. He knew that as a result of him dying, that some of the relationships he had spent so many years cultivating that people would look at him and, and think that it was not true that he had even resurrected from the grave. Mm. Like his Thomas. Like Thomas. You think about Peter. Peter was like, I'm riding for you. Like my loyalty to you is there until like the rubber hits the road and he leaves him hanging three times. Now what would cancel culture say? Absolutely. The first time, it wouldn't even got to three times. Let me just say, if it got out that Peter had denied him once, I'd be like, oh no, uh-uh, we're not messing with Peter no more. You get what I mean? Right. Like these relationships that Jesus cultivated and had were very authentic, were very intentional. And for some of them, they didn't have the luxury of knowing each other their whole life. You get what I'm saying? Like, oh, I've known you my whole life. So absolutely, like, I'll trust you and follow you and like leave everything behind to be a part of what you're doing. Like Jesus literally met some of them boys and was like, hey, come on, leave what you're doing and like, come follow me. And I think sometimes relationships are cultivated that way. They're, and I think that happened at camp. It's like, we're all here for a common purpose and we're asking each one of you to be vulnerable. In the context of camp, that happened. Whereas now, to your point about like, what is the narrative uh, friendship is kind of organic like it should just happen there should be a vibe right um, it's very hit or miss it's like if you're not adding anything to my life I don't know why I need to befriend you I need to be leveling up in all of my relationships um, if I feel like you're not giving as much as I'm giving then this is not 
a, you know, a mutually beneficial situation. And again, what I see painted in scripture, relationships weren't all mutually beneficial. We weren't all in the same space, able to give the same thing at the same time. Matter of fact, in my own life, I don't know any relationship that I have where we're both people are being intentional about the relationship and we're both thriving and soaring and got it all together. Like some seasons I'm doing really, really well. And the other person is struggling. So then that person is asking for more grace for me, more compassion for me, more patience for me. It's flipped in, a, in another season where I'm like, I have nothing to give you. I feel completely spent and broken. But because people have a, a false perception of what friendship really is, then it's like, oh, I don't really know yeah. if this relationship is good for me or not. Right. Because we're usually just consumed with the idea of, is this relationship good for me or not? Right. Um, versus being willing to like go there right. with the people who we are laboring with shoulder to shoulder. I want people to look at their friendships differently and be intentional about them because it will be beneficial for all the other relationships that you have deemed more important than your friendships anyway. That's good. And now, and just for balance, like you do talk about toxic friends. You do seem oh, to also talk about there are times when you ought to move on from a relationship. Oh, sure, okay. sure, sure. Right. It's the last resort for me. I am very big on reconciliation. Now, reconciliation might not look like the relationship looking like it's right. looked in the previous season, but there's no tension between right. us. Um, there's no um, right. ought. There's yeah. forgiveness has been extended. And so, yes, but I am an yeah. advocate for boundaries. I'm right. an advocate for people having expectations and, ex and verbalizing those expectations. Right. Most people are frustrated in their relationships because they haven't actually said out loud what they expect right. from the other person. You know, like we don't do it well. We don't do conflict well. Mm -hmm. We don't work mm -hmm. through differences well. We don't work through misunderstandings well. We don't listen well to one another in the context of church. And it, and it hurts my heart. Yeah. Um, which, because I'm like, we've been given two instructions mm -hmm. to like love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Mm -hmm. Like, but we don't love our neighbors well. Right. And I would say that loving your neighbors is not just about loving strangers, but like loving your your friends. Yeah. And the reception of this has been incredible. Uh, you've done a TEDx talk in IUPUI in Indianapolis. Uh, how have you experienced the reception? Was it what you were expecting? Was it more or less? How's that? I had an expectation of heart combos at the very beginning to just grow rapidly because I was like, this is so important. It's a huge need. People should just latch on. What has been the rude awakening is that there really is a culture shift in people's thinking that has to happen. I think people watch my content and they're like, oh, yeah, this is good. But the voices that they hear around them in culture um, on any given day are reinforcing the complete opposite, right. that it's taking people a longer time for the light bulb to come on, whether that be main uh mainstream culture or even church community like i believe the church has almost made an idol out of being married yeah. like it is the goal right. <laughs> you know and therefore the people who are laboring with one another who aren't spouses aren't laboring with one another because they're not spouses right. i think if you just zoom out and look at the loneliness epidemic happening in our country if you look at the suicide rates happening in our country people feel like if I am not connected to someone romantically, then I am alone and I don't feel known and I don't feel worthy and almost as if like life is not living if I'm not living a certain type of life. Um, and that's not just with status and things, but that's like with also relationship dynamics. If I don't have this specific type of relationship dynamic, then all the other things that I have don't Hashtag matter. Relationship goals. <laughs> exactly. 
That was Kristen K.B. Newton helping us understand why we need to work on our friendships and relationships through bringing up the hard topics or heart topics, as she prefers to call them. You can see why I highly recommend KB and her social movement, Heart Convos, right? She dropped some real jewels of wisdom about developing healthy relationships. If you want more info about KB or to find a link to her social campaign called Heart Convos, check out the show notes or visit whereyourefrom.org. That's where, Y-A, from.org. The show notes also include today's talking points and a link to a free digital download titled Oh Freedom, which features 20 days of devotionals celebrating legacies of the black church. The show notes are available in the podcast description or on our website at whereyou'refrom.org. I'm Russell Berry reminding you, it's not just about where you're at, it's also about where you're from. This show was produced by Mary Jo Clark, Daniel Ryan Day, and Jade Gustafson. I also want to thank our engineer, Gabrielle Boward, and give a quick shout out to Crescentia and Mike for their help in supporting and promoting where you're from. Thank you both. Where You're From is a part of the Voices Collection from our Daily Bread Ministries. This episode was brought to you in part by the Truce Podcast. The new season examines the connection between some evangelicals and the Republican Party with the help of world-class historians. Subscribe to Truce in your podcast app or listen at trucepodcast.com.